What is going on, sports fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast, Season 3, Episode 23, and we've got a lot to get to today. NFL Week 8 recap. We recap every game in the NFL's Week 8, give our post-Week 8 power rankings and more. We recap last night's Thursday night football game between the Colts and the Jets, and we also got some big stories around the NFL like Aaron Rodgers testing positive for COVID. He will miss Sunday's game against the Chiefs, and the Browns releasing Odell Beckham Jr. on his birthday. We'll react to all of that. We also got some college football playoff talk as the college football playoff committee released their initial rankings for this season. I react and give my own top six college football playoff rankings and the NBA season is in full swing and the Atlanta Braves won their first World Series since 1995. We're going to break down all of that and more in today's episode. It is a jammed pack episode but first as always this episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast is on Anchor and there are two ways you can use the Anchor. You can either go to anchor.fm on your computer your phone, just type it in to Google, anchor.fm, that will take you to Anchor, or you download the free Anchor app in the Microsoft Store or the Google Play Store today, and you can start your very own podcast through Anchor, Anchor, Anchor. Anchor is a big reason why I'm able to do this podcast week in and week out, so we just got to give a shout out to Anchor really quick. All right, let's get into it. Today is Friday, November 5th. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Season 3, Episode 23 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Today is Friday, November 5th, and we're recapping Week 8. It was a spooky NFL Week 8 as the majority of the games took place on Halloween. And it was almost a spooky November 1st for the Kansas City Chiefs as we start in Kansas City, Missouri, where Patrick Mahomes is still struggling and turning the ball over. The Giants had a bad fourth quarter offsides that all but gave away a primetime game on the road. Kansas City is fortunate to win, but also is still in very big trouble as the Chiefs win 20-17. We go to Minnesota where the Cowboys and Cooper Rush took on the Vikings. And the Vikings look to all but win this game in thrilling fashion after Dak Prescott would miss the game with an injury. But the Dallas Cowboys proved proved that they can win whoever's at the quarterback. As Cooper Rush, Central Michigan's finest, Maxion Zone, threw a game-winning dime to Amari Cooper. And I hate to say it, folks, but Dallas is starting to feel a lot like a team of destiny. Going on the road in primetime with Cooper Rush is the kind of thing champions, t- championship teams do. Now, if you'll excuse me, 
I'm going to go wash my hands because I do not like the Cowboys. And saying that thought disgusts me. <laughs> it's the Cowboys win, 20-16. to 16. <laughs> We go to Denver where the Washington football team took on the Denver Broncos and two Taylor Heineke interceptions to Justin Simmons, two more Chris Blewett field goals blocked, two more offensive linemen injured, and two Washington wins entering the bye week. And for the second straight week, the Burgundy and Gold offense has outgained its opponent and appeared to regress at the exact point the defense appears to be writing itself. This season is spiraling out of control for the fans in Washington. And good for Denver. They might be the worst 4-4 four four team I've ever seen in my life, but they've beaten the bad teams and they've given themselves a chance to turn it around still as they beat the football team 17-10. We go to New Orleans where it was a playoff rematch between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. And here is a Halloween pun for, your, for you Ghostbusters fans. Tom Brady has thrown three pick six as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Two of them have come against the Saints. New Orleans ain't scared of no goat. <laughs> Unfortunately, so will Jameis Winston after a leg injury that's feared to be season-ending as the Saints will have to try and win the Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill at the helmet quarterback now. The Saints won this game, but it figures to be a struggle to do so regularly enough to make this result matter in the race for the NFC South. As the Saints win, 36-27. We go to Seattle, where it was an absolute blowout. Jacksonville is so bad that even Geno Smith can look like Russell Wilson against the Jags defense. This team might have the first overall pick in back-to-back -back years. As the Seahawks roll, 31-7. We go to Los Angeles where the Patriots proved they were for real. It was a Halloween thriller, and it gives New England its first win over a non-rookie quarterback this season. Thanks in part to former Charger Adrian Phillips' first career pick six. Chargers gonna Charger, I guess, as the Patriots win 27-24. We go to Cleveland where the Browns were all bark and no bite. Good for Pittsburgh grabbing a season-saving win in Cleveland. But why run a fake field goal that literally knocks your kicker out when you could just keep future Hall of Fame quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, who spots a 12-2-1 record in Cleveland, on the field to get you that play? The Steelers are lucky to escape real damage here, but may not be so fortunate if Chris Boswell, the NFL's most accurate kicker over the last two seasons, is sidelined for an extended period. The Browns had chances to win this game, but shot themselves in the foot with cru crucial drops and fumbles down the stretch. And the Browns fall to 4-4 four and four and look like it could be another wasted season in Cleveland as the Steelers win 15-10. We go to Detroit where I was an idiot and picked the Lions to win their first game of the year. How bad is it for the NFL's only win winless team? The closest thing they've had to a win this season in Detroit is Detroit native Avante Maddox forcing a fumble return by former Lions cornerback Darius Slay for a 33-yard touchdown against them on Sunday. The Eagles fly 44-6. We go to Buffalo where the Bills took on the Dolphins and the Dolphins lost their seventh straight game. Good game for Cole Beasley as Josh Allen was targeting him all over the field. And if a 58.2 passer rating is Tua getting better, the Dolphins are doomed and that much more likely to throw up a Hail Mary for Deshaun Watson in the offseason. As the Bills win, 26-11, and no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. We go to Atlanta, Georgia, in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium where it was the Panthers and the Falcons in an NFC South showdown. I don't care even one bit about the result of this game. At a time when most, if not all of us, have struggled since the onset of the pandemic, Seeing Calvin Ridley prioritize his mental health 
over the stress of playing football is the kind of energy we need entering this final stretch of a difficult 2021. But let's get back to the game. Sam Darnold went out with a concussion, but the Panthers' defense did just enough disrupting of Matt Ryan to win 19-13. We go to Chicago, where Justin Fields showed flashes of brilliance, but the 49ers were too much as Justin Fields became the first Chicago quarterback to run for 100 yards in a game since 1973. But the Bears, once again, are wasting one of the most electric young talents in the league. As the 49ers win, 33-22. We go to Indianapolis where the Titans took on the Colts in perhaps the game of the weekend. The Carson Wentz threw one of the most ludicrous, ludicrous pick six we've ever seen as he was getting rushed by the Tennessee defense and fired a ball left-handed that got intercepted in the end zone. The above photo and the video below sum up why Carson, Carson Wentz has not been the same since his MVP, MVP caliber start to the 2017 season. The Titans win in overtime, 34-31. The Bengals and the Jets in New Jersey. And what a game this was. Who the heck is Mike White? Well, now he's the only quarterback since 1950 to throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns in his first career start. And in the last 71 years, only Cam Newton has more passing yardage in his first career start. Meanwhile, the fans in Cincinnati are recreating that scene from the Waterboy, saying, oh no, we suck again, as the Jets win 34-31. We go to Houston, where the Rams and Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Daryl Henderson Jr., Leonard Floyd, and Aaron Donald said word, and they held Houston to 77 yards through three four through the first three quarters as the Rams went 38 to 22. We finished last Thursday night in Arizona where the Cardinals undefeated season came to an end and the 72 Dolphins were taking their champagne shots because they will be the only perfect team in the NFL once again. At a time when Kyler Murray was trending toward MVP numbers, Green Bay put a stop to all that to deal the cards their first loss and grab the inside track in the race for home field advantage in the NFC. It's Aaron Rodgers' world, and we're all just trespassing. As the Packers win, 24-21. And we finished last night, and we're going over to Week 9 as the Colts took on the Jets in Thursday Night Football. Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines ran wild, and Carson Wentz looks like 2017 Carson Wentz, having three total touchdowns as the Colts roll the Jets, 45-30. Week 8. And one game of week nine of the NFL season are in the books. And that was the fastest five minutes in football presented by Anchor. And there were a lot of surprises, a lot of good games this week. I feel like it was a, there were more, a lot more close games this week. A lot of games came down to the wire. We, like we just talked about that Titans-Colts game. That Brown-Steelers game was close in the fourth quarter. So there, there were a lot better games this week. But obviously week nine has already started. When we do our game picks, I will tell you I did pick last night's Thursday night game between the Colts and the Jets correctly, so we're already 1-0 this week. But we'll talk a little bit about each of the games in Week 8. Then we'll go into our power rankings post-Week 8. And then we got some huge, huge NFL stories. There's three huge NFL stories we got to talk about. Aaron Rodgers lying about being vaccinated for COVID, testing positive for COVID, and he will be out for Sunday's game against the Chiefs. Odell Beckham Jr. released by the Cleveland Browns and Derrick Henry potentially out for the season for the Tennessee Titans. We will get to that, but first let's talk about what I saw 
from week eight of the NFL season and then get into our power rankings. All right, so we'll start like we always do with the Brown Steelers. And it was a tough game to watch as a Browns fan. I'll admit I was doing I was calling a soccer game on Sunday during the time of the Browns game. So I didn't get to watch all the Browns game, but the quarter I did watch was the fourth quarter. The Browns were up 10-9 to at the end of the third quarter. They were dominating the game defensively. They were just not converting offensively, but we expected that. It was a slugfest. We expect that in, in the AFC North. You know, the Browns and the Steelers, when they always get together, it seems it's going to be a defensive battle except for last year in the playoffs. But down the stretch... Jarvis Landry had some crucial drops. I think last Sunday against the Steelers was his worst game as a Cleveland Brown. Odell Beckham Jr. was non-existent down the stretch. He had one catch for six yards, and that kind of ultimately led to his release from the Cleveland Browns. Nick Chubb was trying to find running lanes. He only ran for 61 yards, but this Browns team, this game on Sunday against Cincinnati, and we're going to preview it in a minute. But it's a must-win, and I've said it every week for the last three weeks. It's a must-win for the Browns, but this Sunday is a make-or-break game. You can make your season. You can break your season. You look at the Browns' upcoming schedule. If they can get this Bengals win, they got the Patriots and the Lions, which in my opinion are still two winnable games. But they, it all starts Sunday against Cincinnati. But going back to the Steelers game, I thought the defense made enough plays. Miles Garrett was... In the backfield, nearly every play, putting pressure on Ben Roethlisberger. He only sacked him once, but Denzel Ward and Gr- Denzel Ward wasn't on the field on Sunday. But Greedy Williams and Greg Newsom stepped up and they made plays down the stretch in that fourth quarter. The the Browns went down fifteen to ten at the beginning of the fourth quarter after Ben Roethlisberger found Pat Fryermuth on a touchdown. But after, excuse me, after that Jarvis fumble. The Steelers got the ball back and the Browns went and forced the three and out because of great plays by Greedy Williams and Greg Newsom. So that's a good good sign for the Browns. I'm not worried. I wasn't worried about the defense on Sunday. And part of it's because the Steelers aren't a great offensive team. I have no problem in saying that. But I think part of it's also because the defense did show signs of improvement. It's and they it's they've really shown signs of improvement in the last two games against Denver and Pittsburgh. But the thing that concerns me the most is Kevin Stefanski. Play calling down the stretch and these crucial drops and Baker and Baker Mayfield not being on the same pages as receivers at time down the stretch. I think the creativity we all saw last year in Kevin Stefanski's offense, which led the Browns to win 12 games, including one playoff game and make the playoffs, and which was ultimately resulted in Kevin Stefanski being coach of the year. That creativity and play calling is not there this year. I don't know if defenses around the NFL have figured out Kevin Stefanski's offense. That's probably part of it. I don't know if Kevin Stefanski is not willing to change his offense. That could also be another part of it. But I think Kevin Stefanski needs to go back to the fundamentals let Baker Mayfield be the gunslinger that he is. Baker Mayfield made some plays down the stretch on Sunday. He had a huge first down run on third down, and he fired up the crowd after he got hit, hit laid out of bounds, and then immediately the play after Jarvis Landry killed any or all momentum the Browns had by fumbling away the game quite literally on a fumble forced by Joe Schobert and recovered by T.J. Watt. But Baker Mayfield made some plays, like I said. It just wasn't enough. And like I said, he did get let down by his receivers down the stretch. Odell Beckham Jr. There was a deep ball to Odell that I thought was catchable. Odell was going to get hit, but 
It could have been a touchdown if he brings it down. Jarvis had a couple huge drops. Rashard Higgins had a crucial false start on the last drive. Like There was a lot of stuff that worried me on Sunday down the stretch. And I think it all goes back to Kevin Stefanski. I think he needs to go back to the fundamentals. Do what makes this team good, what we saw last year. You need to run the ball first and foremost. Run the ball, run it down their throats with Nick Chubb. Dearness Johnson, too. He's going to be your he's going to be in the Kareem Hunt role these next couple weeks. You got to run the ball, but you also got to start designing those play actions. I don't know how many times last year. I think about my favorite play the Browns called last year was the touchdown against Tennessee that Baker Mayfield threw 75 yards to Donovan Peoples Jones because they lined up in a running formation. They had three tight ends in the game, only one receiver. Baker faked a handoff to Nick Chubb, rolled to his right, and fired it wide open to a deep Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't see creative plays like that or creative formations like that this season. I just don't. I don't know what it is. I think Kevin Stefanski either needs to give up play calling to Alex Van Pelt or go back to the fundamentals and be more creative because right now that creativity is not there at all. And I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Browns need to win on Sunday because right now they look like an 8-9 and nine or 7-10 and 10 team that misses the playoffs. They look like the 2019 Cleveland Browns. If they can win on Sunday in a, in a city against a team that they've been very successful with under Baker Mayfield, Baker's 5-1 and one in his career against Cincinnati, they can win on Sunday. Maybe this season is back on track. But right now, if I had to pick, I would say that your Cleveland Browns are going to miss the playoffs. All right, let's talk about some other games in week eight of the NFL. Let's talk about this Packers Cardinals game. Um, I picked the Packers because I think Aaron Rodgers is still the best quarterback in the league. And I think he showed it. Uh, it, it did come down to the final play. The Cardinals did have a chance to win. Uh, Kyler Murray got intercepted by the Packers defense. I think it was Rasul Douglas who had the game clinching, clinching interception. But I think, this Packers team, they, they have a great offense. They can run the ball with Aaron Jones. They could throw the ball down the field with Devontae Adams, Robert Tanyan, Randall Cobb even. like they're, they're a very complete team. And I think that they showed down the stretch a team that has won, that has been to the playoffs. Normally, in a close game down the stretch, we'll beat an inexperienced team that is tasting success for the first time like the Arizona Cardinals were. That's just my opinion. But the Packers and the Cardinals undefeated season, and they are now the top seed in all the NFL and in the NFC as well. So that's another game I wanted to highlight. And then the third game I wanted to highlight was actually this. Well, there's two. The third game I wanted to highlight was the Cowboys-Vikings and Cooper Rush. What a game for Cooper Rush. I mentioned he went to Central Michigan. He... As a Maction guy, midweek Maction started this week. It was awesome to experience, but Cooper Rush goes in there, doesn't try to do too much for the Cowboys. He knows that he's got weapons around him in Amari Cooper, in C.D. Lamb, and Ezekiel Elliott. And he put the Cowboys in a position to win the game at the end, needed to make a couple throws at the end of the game, and he found Amari Cooper for that game-winning touchdown. And the Cowboys go on the road against a pretty... I would say decent Vikings team, and they they beat them. And it was a great win for the Cowboys. And like I said, I think the Cowboys have to be started talking about as one of the potential favorites in the NFC because they do, and I'm not just saying this, they do look like a team of destiny. Going out on the road and winning with a backup quarterback 
against a pretty good team in a primetime game doesn't happen unless you have a team that is built for long-term playoff success. And I believe that the Dallas Cowboys do. And the last game I wanted to highlight is this Bengals-Jets game. Obviously, I've been talking about how this game on Sunday for the Browns against the Bengals is a must-win game for the Browns, but it's equally a must-win game for the Bengals because the Bengals were on cloud nine after last week. They beat the Ravens. They didn't just beat the Ravens. They dominated the Ravens, 41-17. to They are sitting alone at the top of the AFC North. Cincinnati fans, I know some of you listen to this. You're probably thinking, we're going to win the AFC North. We're going to make the playoffs. But then, of course, on Sunday, you blow an 11-point fourth quarter lead, 31-20, to to Mike White, a rookie from Western Kentucky, who threw for 405 yards and three touchdowns in his first career start against your defense, and you drop a brutal game to the New York Jets on the road. And now the Bengals fans are thinking, oh gosh, we can't have anything nice in Cincinnati sports. They're going to fall apart again. And I don't know. I, I've, I said last week after the Bengals beat the Ravens, I think these this Bengals team, I love Joe Burrow. I love Jamar Chase, his players. I think they're great players. I think that's a great quarterback to receiver duo, a top five duo in the NFL already. thought the defense was playing better. And then the defense gets absolutely shredded by a relatively unknown player in Mike White. And you lose to the Jets, who didn't look great last night on Thursday Night Football against the Colts. It was just a brutal loss for the Bengals. And both teams are going to be desperate for a win on Sunday in Cincinnati. Let's get into our Week 8 post-Week 8 NFL, play, NFL power rankings. All right. Starting off at number one, we have the 7-1 Green Bay Packers. They're at the top of the NFC right now. They're 7-1. I think the biggest concern for this Packers team still is the red zone. They're one of the best red zone teams last season, and they led the NFL in red zone offense. But this season, they're tied for 20th in red zone offense. On defense in 2020, they were 8th, allowing opponent touchdowns in the red zone. And this season, they're 30th. So their red zone struggles on offense and defense are something to watch. But they still have Aaron Rodgers. They still make plays when they need to, like you saw with that game-winning interception on Thursday. They're still my number one. My number two is the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I can't knock them for losing a game to a 7-1 Packers team, so they only drop a spot in my rankings. I think the run defense for them is a big concern. Obviously, J.J. Watt's out for the year, but – uh, the the Cardinals got exposed on Thursday night. They gave up 151 yards to the Packers' ru- rush offense. And if a team can eat the clock on the ground, the Cardinals become very vulnerable. Their run defense is giving up an average of 120 yards per game and 4.8 yards per carry, which is 31st in the NFL. They've given up more than 100 rushing yards in five of their first eight games. Running against Arizona has become... Obviously, I was talking about how dynamic Kyler Murray's been, but if you can run the ball and eat the clock, that's kind of your best defense against a dynamic offense. And that's what the Packers did to the Cardinals on Thursday night and ultimately resulted in the Cardinals' first loss, which is why I have them number two in my power rankings. Number three, I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. And I know that's a little bit of a surprise to some of you, but like I said, I really do believe in this Cowboys team. Um... I have to nitpick to find a weakness in this Cowboys team. Um, 
probably it would be giving up big plays. The Cowboys' defense has way outperformed expectations this season, but when they play better quarterbacks down the stretch and potentially in the playoffs, they, they're, they've allowed 31 plays of at least 20 yards in the first seven games, so that can't happen. But this season, um, they look like they, they've, got a, they've got a ton of playmakers in the offense, probably the best offensive unit maybe outside of Tampa Bay in terms of just pure talent. I think Dak Prescott's having an MVP-type season, and they proved that if they need to sit players to get healthy like they did with Dak Prescott, they can do that. So the Cowboys, they also have an easy schedule in the NFC East. They're playing a third-place schedule from last season's results, so that's another reason why I got the Cowboys number three in my power rankings. Number four, I'd like to go with the Los, Angel- Los Angeles Rams. Um I think special teams is their biggest weakness because obviously that Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup connection is probably the best in the NFL. That defense just added Von Miller. So now they got Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey, three superstars on the defensive side of the ball. They're a very complete team in terms of offense and defense, but their biggest weakness is special teams. Um, They've not been able to settle on a consistent kick and punt returner, um, which makes it difficult to not hold your breath because they've been using Cooper Cup, so you don't want your the NFL's leading receiver to get hurt. Um, I'd, they also uh, allowed an early onside kick against the Lions in Week 7 and watched as two fake punts were converted into first downs. So they need to clean things up on special teams, but right now the Rams are hitting all the right buttons. Matthew Stafford and uh, Sean McVay, it looks like it's a marriage that was meant to be for LA. So they're my number four team in my power rankings. Number five, I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the, the Bills are very consistent on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, they have a great kicker in Tyler Bass, who was the AFC Special Teams Player of the Month. Uh, Josh Allen does a great job of not just making plays with his feet, running the ball, but he also, it seems like he picks a go-to guy every game and he likes to get all of his receivers involved, whether it be Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. They got a lot of weapons in Buffalo, and I think the lack of a true number one running back is their biggest concern, but Josh Allen's ability to make plays all over the field will limit that concern for this Cowboy, for the, excuse me, for this Buffalo Bills team. That's why the Bills are number five in my power ranking. Number six, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, They did lose to the Saints on Sunday, but you still got to think Tom Brady uh, with Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette, Gronkowski. Like, they got a lot of weapons on offense and defense. They have have taken a lot of penalties this season. Their 59 penalties this season are one shy of, of the league high. Uh, and they've given up 580 yards in penalties this season. That's not very good. You can't be giving away free yards like that. In Sunday's game, they gave 11 penalties for 99 yards against the Saints, and that 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 was a big reason why the Saints were able to advance the ball, even though they lost Jameis Winston in the second half of that one. So that's probably one of the biggest things this Tampa Bay Buccaneers needs to team needs to clean up. But they're still the beat goes on. They're six and two right now. They still got an excellent chance to repeat as Super Bowl champions in my opinion. And they're number six right now. Seven, I'll go with the Baltimore Ravens. Um Lamar Jackson can produce big plays, but he can't stop them. In the Ravens two losses, their defense has allowed 15 completions over 20 yards. Uh their poor tackling is the biggest concern for me for the Ravens. 
they've let it's led to uh, 1200 yards allowed after the catch which is worse than the NFL but their offense is still dynamic Lamar Jackson is still doing it even though he's got a hurt offensive line and all of that stuff uh Despite not having a true running back behind him, he's still able to get a bunch of receivers involved like his tight end, Mark Andrews, like Marquise Brown, and he's obviously able to make plays with his legs and his arm. That's why the Ravens are, I believe, number seven in my power rankings. Number eight will go with the Tennessee Titans. Um, I would put the Titans above the Ravens normally. They are 6-2, and two, but they did lose Derrick Henry for the rest of the season, which is a huge, huge loss, but the good news is Ryan Tannehill has been looking better as of late, and so is A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is finally getting more involved in this offense, and if Ryan Tannehill can continue to do that, the defense can continue to make plays for this Titans team. The Titans will still make the playoffs this year, as they are number eight in my power rankings right now. Number nine, I'd like to go with the Raiders. Um, uh, Derek Carr's offensive line, Colton Miller, John Simpson, Andre James, Alex Leatherwood, and Brandon Parker have kept the Raiders quarterback upright and clean without a sack in the last six quarters. That's huge. It's a reshuffled offensive line, though, and so it's always kind of in flux. But I like the Raiders. They got I like Derek Carr. Derek Carr's an excellent leader for this football team. I think they're playing they're playing with a lot of heart behind their new interim head coach. I think, you know, obviously they got some dynamic playmakers on offense with Josh Jacobs. Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. This Raiders team has a lot to be excited about, and who knows, maybe they will be in in on the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes. They're number nine. And closing out the top ten, I got the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, The biggest uh, thing that worries me about this Bengals team is their offensive inconsistency. Uh, They have a boomer bust offense. They rank 31st in plays per drive and have the second highest three and out percentage in the league, but yet they're still fourth in the NFL in touchdowns. But they haven't been able to sustain drives, which is a problem. But still, Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase is a dynamic duo. They've got a good defense. They can run the ball with Joe Mixon. They're number 10 in my power rankings. Closing out the power rankings, I would go number 11, Saints. Number 12, LA Chargers. 13, New England Patriots. 14 Pittsburgh Steelers, 15 Kansas City Chiefs. And I would have the Cleveland Browns at number 17 behind San Francisco 49ers. That is where I would put the Browns. That's just how far they've fallen, in my opinion. So those are our week week nine power rankings. And let's get to these three big NFL stories, and then we'll get into our week. Excuse me, our week nine NFL picks. We'll start with Odell Beckham Jr. The Browns announced today that they are releasing Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, things didn't work out. Let's take you through the timeline. So Sunday, we'll start with Sunday. Obviously, there's a whole lot more to this Odell Beckham Jr. Sunday uh, uh, saga, excuse me. But we're going to start with Sunday's game against the Steelers. Sunday's game against the Steelers. Odell Beckham Jr. is only targeted one time for one reception in six yards. He was virtually just a body on the field against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then on Monday, it's relatively quiet. It's an off day. There's nothing. We're thinking it was just a bad game for Odell. A lot of people like me were fired up that the Browns lost a very winnable game, but there's nothing on the sense of Odell. Then on Tuesday in the morning, all hell breaks loose. You got Odell Beckham Sr., which is Odell Beckham Jr.'s father, obviously, 
releasing a video on Instagram that says that's a, it's about an 11 minute video that showed various highlights and clips from games this season, which said that Baker Mayfield wasn't throwing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. when he was wide open. And then Odell Beckham Sr. went on to insinuate that Baker doesn't like Odell, that he's not throwing it to him on purpose. And then that's when the fireworks started starting. Then on Monday afternoon, LeBron James tweeted. Let's find the tweet for you. I got I to read the tweet word for word for you just because of how ridiculous it was. And the thing, which I will explain to you in a minute, was why Odell got released in my opinion. But it's because you know. You know that this didn't come just from LeBron. You know that Odell was egging his father and egging these people on. But LeBron tweeted a couple days ago. OBJ will show again why he's special and a wide receiver one. Hashtag free OBJ. And free OBJ was trending all over the place on Tuesday ahead of the Browns practice. Marcus Stroman, a professional baseball pitcher, tweeted on Tuesday as well on behalf of Odell Beckham Jr. Let's go ahead and find it for you. Here's we're looking through Stroman's. Here it is. OBJ's father is a real one for defending his son like that. My pop's got the same energy. He'll defend me through anything until the day I die. That's love and loyalty. Can't wait to have my my kids back like Odell Beckham Jr.'s father has his back. So, okay. And then he... Oh, that was... Sorry, that was on Wednesday. But on Tuesday, this is what kind of set it all off. Why doesn't Baker target OBJ? Question mark. That confuses me deeply. Why would you not want to get the ball to an elite playmaker? Some things will never make sense. So basically what happened was, it was the day of the trade deadline, mind you. So that was the last day the Cleveland Browns could have traded Odell Beckham Jr. Odell wanted to get traded. So he went to his dad, he went to his buddy LeBron, his buddy Marcus Stroman, and said, hey, can you guys get this free OBJ trending stuff trending up on Twitter? Get start starting the rumors, you know. So that's what happened. But anyway, then like immediately after that, it's announced Baker Mayfield won't speak to the media until after practice that day, which is very weird because he always speaks before practice. And then it says two reports came out. One that said. Odell Beckham Jr. has been excused from practice by the Browns. And the second one was that Kevin Stefanski told his team that, quote, Odell Beckham Jr. is no longer a part of the team at this time. So there's a lot of stuff going on on Tuesday. Ultimately, the Browns don't trade him, so he's still a member of the team. Wednesday comes, nothing. Thursday comes, there's still a bunch of talk, but still nothing. And then today, we get the the news that... Uh, Browns executive vice president of football operations and general manager Andrew Barry announced that the team is releasing Odell Beckham Jr. saying, quote, we've determined that it is in the best interest of all parties involved that Odell no longer play for the Cleveland Browns. We appreciate all his efforts and contributions while in Cleveland, but we've just reached a point. We've just reached a point where... 
trying to find the rest of the quote here. Sorry, guys. Where it is best that we move forward as a team without Odell. We are finalizing the process of granting Odell his release, and we wish him continued success. Okay, so the, the Browns announced today that they released Odell Beckham Jr. They announced uh, the three-time Pro Bowler is going, getting released sometimes this weekend. It will happen officially once finances are agreed upon. The two sides have been negotiating to turn his remaining $8 million salary into a base salary, according to Josina Anderson, which would make it easier for another team to claim him. So that is what's going on with Odell Beckham Jr. So he's no longer a member of the Cleveland Browns. I think it's it was the best decision for both Odell and the Browns for both parties involved. I think it just wasn't working here. I was more excited than anybody else. I was just as excited as all you guys were when the Browns traded for Odell Beckham Jr. back in May. or I think it was no back in March of 2019. I was saying oh, the Browns are going to the Super Bowl. The Browns are back. It's going to be so exciting to watch Baker and Odell for the next five years. And it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out for some reason. And it sucks, you know, because Odell Beckham Jr., I still think he's a good receiver. Uh, I hope he has success wherever he goes from here, from his next play, his next team. But look at last year without Odell Beckham Jr. The Browns were 7-3 and three without Odell, and they won a playoff game. Baker Mayfield played perhaps the best football of his career last year without Odell. So hopefully that is what happens as a result of this release. But where are some spots I think Odell could get claimed or or he could sign? Well, if we're talking about claims, I think it would be pretty funny if the Detroit Lions claimed Odell because they have the number one waiver priority in the NFL as a result of having the the worst record in the NFL at 0-8. They, they're obviously very thin on receiver, so maybe, maybe they just try to bring in Odell, sell some tickets for the rest of the season. See if maybe he can play well and you can flip him and trade him in the offseason. I'm thinking that that would be a good move for the Lions. But some other contending teams that need receivers, obviously the Saints. Um, there was a reportedly a trade for Beckham in place with the Saints prior to the deadline, but it just didn't go through. One, because they didn't think Odell was going to pass a physical, and two, just because the Browns didn't think didn't want to pay the rest of the salary. But the Saints are absolutely a posi- positive a possible fit. Uh, Michael Thomas is now out for the year, so they do need a number one receiver. Uh, Jameis Winston is also sidelined for good. So Beckham would uh, pr- instantly become the number one wide receiver again with New Orleans. So that's a spot to watch. The Patriots are another spot to watch. Um, no one takes more chances on discarded big names like than New England. Uh, they can also promise him a decent role. Uh, they may or may not be able to be a long-term match, but with the team hanging around the AFC East, that's a it's a reasonable gamble to help out Mac Jones. And front office consultant Elliot Wolf, Wolf was the Browns' assistant GM when the Browns traded for Odell Beckham. He's now in New England. So that's another team to watch. Number three, I think the Raiders. Um, they burned, they've been burned by splashy moves for troubled receivers before, like... Antonio Brown and Martavius Bryant, but Mike Mayock, make Mike Mayock, their GM, is all in on a playoff run this year. Even with all the outside controversy of the seasons, with Henry Ruggs out of the picture, and real quick, what Henry Ruggs did was absolutely unacceptable. He drove drunk, 156 miles per hour, and he killed a 23 year old woman and her dog in the, in a car crash. That 
is just horrible. He has no place for that. I think the dude should be in jail. And I think the Raiders were right in releasing him. But with him out of the picture, I think the Raiders do need some wide receiver help to stay out in front in the AFC West. And Derek Carr would surely work hard to get Odell's targets. So that's another potential spot. I would say the 49ers are a potential spot. Um, they've quietly slip, slipped out of the limelight in recent weeks, but they did have a promising win on Sunday against Chicago with Jimmy Garoppolo. They could be itching to catapult themselves back into the NFC West conversation this year. Uh, you can't trust Brandon Ayuk, but if you put Beckham in there, he could probably him and Debo Samuel would be a good duo. And then another spot I could see him is the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs try to go after everyone. But maybe it would settle Patrick Mahomes down if they give him another big play target. Beckham would be playing second fiddle to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. But Casey throws it so much that he'd still see a bump in action. So th- those are the probably the top five likely destinations for Odell. If I had to pick, I would pick the Raiders would be the team that picked him up. But honestly, wouldn't be surprised to see him go anywhere. Let's get to the other story. Derek Henry out potentially for the season. He did get surgery, and that obviously hurts the Tennessee Titans. I think their Super Bowl chances are gone now. They did bring in Adrian Peterson, (laughs) but I just don't think anything's going to match the production of what Derrick Henry was doing. He's a special, special player. Maybe he'll come back for the playoffs. It is a 6-10 to week injury, so he could potentially come back for the playoffs, but I don't know how likely that is, but it's a big loss for the Titans. And let's get to the perhaps the weirdest story of the week, which is it's ahead of probably one, one of the most anticipated games of the season. It was going to be the Packers and the Chiefs. And it, it deals with Packers' star quarterback and last year's NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers. In the preseason, some quarterbacks made no bones about their vac- unvaccinated status. Others hit it. Most notably, Aaron Rodgers managed to conceal that he's not vaccinated until he tested positive for COVID on Wednesday. Uh, Rodgers led reporters in August to believe that he was vaccinated. Technically, to be fair, his quote was he has been immunized, but he clearly implied that he's been vaccinated because he said the next breath that he wouldn't chastise teammates who decided not to get vaccinated. So basically he lied and he lied in order to to hide the fact that he's not vaccinated. And it wasn't just his cagey use of the term immunized, followed by his vow to not judge a group to which he secretly belonged. But, you know, Rodgers this season hasn't followed the safety protocols that unvaccinated players are supposed to follow. He hasn't been wearing a mask on the sidelines. He, uh, he's, I, I mean, he, he's not, he, he hasn't been vaccinated. He was deliberately and flagrantly violating COVID policies to create the impression that he is vaccinated. So he misled the NFL. He misled reporters. He misled the Green Bay Packers. And I, I, why did he do it? I think it's because he, I, I don't know, it, he's just a weird guy. Uh, he deliberately violated COVID protocols in order to keep his secret status, in order to avoid being criticized by the media and by people. Now he's being brutally criticized because he hid it for so long. But that's why he did it in the first place. The dude hates criticism. He hates criticism. He would have heard about his unvaccinated status from the media at the beginning of the year. And so he's so sensitive, but he didn't want to be called 
but he didn't want to be called sensitive. He's so sensitive about being sensitive, because, but he didn't want to be called sensitive because he chose to not get the vaccine. So he chose to create the false impression that he's vaccinated, all because he didn't want to get called out for not being vaccinated. And you knew, you knew it, would, it would come out at some point. Obviously, we had to wait until he tested positive for COVID for that news to break. But just it's a competitive disadvantage for your team, man. And he deliberately broke the NFL's policies. I don't think the NFL will do anything with that just because of how big of a player he is and they don't want him to miss multiple games if they can avoid that. But you never know. You never know. But I think it was a dumb decision by Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love is going to get an opportunity to start for the Packers and show them what awaits them in the future. And who knows? Maybe Jordan Love goes out and balls out. Who knows? Did he Wally Pip himself? I highly doubt it because of the type of player he still is. But any given Sunday. And the NFL stands for not for long. And if you're going to be making stupid decisions, like it's not just that he was unvaccinated. It's that he lied about being vaccinated. That's the thing that is so screwed up about the whole situation. It's one thing if you're not vaccinated in the NFL. There are plenty of quarterbacks and players in the league who aren't, but at least they've been following the protocols that they've had to and be getting the, the daily testing like they're, they have to because they're unvaccinated. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been doing any of that because of the false impression he created, and he's going to put his team in danger of losing on Sunday and losing out and potentially home field advantage for the playoffs because of that dumb decision he made. Let's get quickly to our week nine NFL picks, and then we're going to take a quick break. Last week, I'll give you the record, as you know I will, and we'll update you on our season record as well once the, our ESPN Fantasy Pick'em app opens up here for you guys. All right, let's see. So last week, well, let's go with the season first. This season, we are 81-42. and 42. On our NFL games, we're in the 95th percentile in the ESPN Pick'em League. And we have picked 81 out of 123 correct games. That's 66% of the games correct. So if you guys are listening to me, you should keep listening to me. But week 8, let's, let's calculate the record here. It was our worst week of the year last year. Last week, excuse me. Last week, last week we went 7-8 and eight in game picks. It's our first week, I believe, this season under 500. But we got to correct that this week, and we are going to. We started off with a bang last night as we picked the Colts over the Jets on Thursday Night Football. The Colts get it done for us. And so we're 1-0 this week already. Let's get into our first matchup. It's up here on the screen. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns, two teams in the AFC North, desperate for a win. It's a crucial matchup. Um, ESPN's Football Power Index gives the Bengals a 53.1% chance to win this game. And the Bengals, I believe, are two-and-a-half-point favorites out in Vegas. Um, I think the Bengals, on paper, are the better team. And, you know, I'm not biased when I pick against the Browns. And... I haven't picked against them in a long time just because I believed in them. Actually, that's not true. I picked the Broncos against them a couple weeks ago. I'm not biased with this Browns team. But this is going to sound crazy when I say it. I think right now the Bengals are a better team than the Browns in almost every aspect. I think there's no reason at all that the Browns should win on Sunday. Everything's working against the Browns. The drama surrounding them with the OBJ situation. The Bengals are desperate for a win after... 
losing to the Jets uncharacteristically on Sunday. You know, even they got Jim Nance and Tony Romo are calling the Browns game on CBS on Sunday, and the Browns have lost the last 14 games that Jim Nance and Tony Romo have announced. But for some reason, and, and sometimes I make my picks based off this, everything in the world is telling me to pick the Bengals. Everything is telling me that the Browns have no reason at all to win this game. But for some reason, I got that feel in the back of my mind. Baker Mayfield thrives under pressure. He thrives when people are criticizing him and hating on him and doubting him. He's owned the Cincinnati Bengals team throughout his career. He's 5-1 against them. And the last time the Browns had a must-win game in Cincinnati was last year. And Baker Mayfield had his best game as an NFL quarterback, completing 22 of the last 23 passes and throwing for five touchdowns, including a game-winner to Donovan Peoples-Jones. And that was, ironically, like it will be this season, the first game, the Browns didn't have Odell Beckham Jr. Like I said, everything is telling me that this Browns team has no reason, no business winning this game on Sunday. But I think Kevin Stefanski goes back to the fundamentals. And I think Kevin Stefanski outcoaches Zach Taylor on Sunday. And the Browns eke, and I mean eke, out a win that comes down to a last-second kick by Chase McLaughlin. And I think the Browns win on Sunday 26-23, to and they save their season. That's what I think is going to happen on Sunday. All right, let's get to the rest of our picks as the app suddenly kicks me out. <laughs> All right, so, so we got the Browns over the Bengals, and we, got, we already had the Colts over the Jets. So we're 1-0 so far. The Cowboys and the Broncos, that's my lock of the week. I'll take the Cowboys over the Broncos. Um, Dak Prescott will play on Sunday. That's big getting him back for the Cowboys. And the, the Broncos haven't beat a legitimate playoff contending team this season. So I'll go with the Cowboys. A battle for a top two potentially number, uh, pick in the draft. This is kind of just a who cares game, but a very, very snooze fest. 85% of the people in this app are picking the Miami Dolphins, the 1 in 7 Dolphins to beat the the 1 in 7 Houston Texans, but I have to pick the Texans. They're getting Tyrod Taylor back. They've showed fight at times this year. Um I think Brandon Cooks could cook that Dolphins secondary, no pun intended, but I just think the Dolphins suck, quite frankly. I think they're horrible. I don't think Tua Tagovailoa is that great of a quarterback at all. I mentioned in, in the fastest five minutes in the open, he, his QBR is like 58. That's horrible. This Dolphins team has not impressed me at all. They lost to the freaking Jaguars, and I think the Texans could beat them, and I think the Texans will beat them on Sunday. Saints at Falcons. I'll go with the Saints at home. I know Trevor Simeon and Jameis, uh, and uh, Taysom Hill are going to have to step in at quarterback because of Jameis Winston's injury, but I think the Saints defense is good enough to withstand that. The Raiders at the Giants, I'll go with the Raiders. The Patriots at the Panthers, give me the Patriots. Another potential lock of the week, the Bills and the Jaguars, I'll take the Bills. Our upset pick of the week, the Vikings over the Ravens. The Ravens are coming off a bye, and John, John Harbaugh? Yeah, I always get confused with him and Jim Harbaugh, but Jim is the Michigan one. John Harbaugh is Baltimore's coach. The the Ravens always seem to win after a bye week under John Harbaugh. For some reason, though, 
Something's telling me the Vikings are coming off a disappointing loss to the Cowboys. Uh, they've been playing better football as of late. The Ravens have a lot of injuries on the defensive so- side of the ball and on their offensive line. Um, and frankly, I think Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are going to go off on Sunday against the Ravens defense that struggled to contain the likes of C.J. Uzoma and Jamar Chase the last time we saw them. So I'll go with the Vikings in our upset pick of the week. I'll take the Chargers over the Eagles, the Chiefs over the Packers, the Cardinals over the Niners, the Rams over the Titans, and Steelers over the Bears on Monday Night Football. And those are our Week 9 NFL game picks. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we, we react to the first college football playoff rankings, talk a little bit about the NBA season thus far, and react to the Braves World Series Championship. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 23 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Let's kick off Part 2 of this episode talking about the college football playoff initial rankings. And a lot of people, no matter fans of these teams, players on these teams, Nobody's nobody's satisfied by these top four rankings ever, even in the last rankings of the season. I think that's fair. I think the committee has all has needed has shown a need for expansion. I think the fact that we're talking about expansion is very good, but I think the argument that the committee always weighs every single year in the college football playoff is the four best teams. Versus the four most deserving teams. And frankly, I think the committee screwed up these rankings. Obviously, let's, let's, so let's get into our breakdown of these rankings. We, do you guys want to, let's see, I, I guess, I don't know why I'm phrasing it as a question. It's not like you guys have a say in the matter. <laughs> but I was, I was going to ask, do you guys want me to start with the bottom of the rankings or the top of the rankings? I feel like we should start with the top of the rankings. Let's start with the top. Obviously, no one disagrees that number one should be Georgia. Uh, Georgia ha- is undefeated. They've beaten everybody on their schedule. They have a dominant defense. The only knock I would say on Georgia is that win against Clemson, which is supposed to be one of the best wins of the college football season. Just hasn't aged very well. And by, by that, I mean Clemson's not even in the committee's top 25. So, I mean, that loss, that win isn't as good. But they do have a top 20 win against Kentucky. Um, so, I think they let, – let me, let me look how many top 20 wins they have because – I'm not sure, but I think they might have a little more than I'm than I'm than I might be giving them credit for. So let's just take a look at Georgia's schedule. But they've dominated everyone in their schedule. They're eight zero. That they beat Clemson. They have a top twenty win there. They have a top twenty win against Kentucky. Like I said, they have a very good top fifteen win against Auburn. So they do have top two top twenty wins, which is which is pretty good. And like I said, they've been playing dominant football for the first what eight eight nine weeks of the season. So they're they're clearly the number one team. The committee's number two team is Alabama. And, you know, I knew Alabama was going to be in the top four just because the SEC bias, which is around the country, especially in the college football playoff committee, we've seen it time and time again. The only time two teams have ever gotten in from the same conference has been in the SEC so I, we know that the committee sometimes shows a bias toward the SEC. But the fact that they ranked Alabama over a Michigan State team that's undefeated, which has one of the best wins in college football this season over number seven Michigan, against um, uh, 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 on top of an Oregon team that has one of the, the be- probably the best 
win this season going on the road to Columbus against Ohio State? Or how about the fact of a Cincinnati team? Cincinnati's undefeated, and they have a win, a road win against a top 10 team in Notre Dame. I just don't understand it. I just think the committee has shown a little bias there. I think Alabama, you can make the argument that Alabama would be in the top four, but I don't think they're number two. The rest of the committee's top six, because that's really what matters in these rankings, is Michigan State number three, Oregon number four, Ohio State and Cincinnati are the first two out, as Ohio State's number five and Cincinnati's number six. The big shocker of the committee, besides them leaving Cincinnati out of the top four and putting Alabama number two, was that Oklahoma, who's undefeated right now, is number eight. That That's like a huge shock. And I mean, they're behind Michigan, who has one loss, Cincinnati, who's undefeated, Ohio State with one loss, Oregon with one loss, and Alabama with one loss. So they're behind a group of five teams that's undefeated and four teams with one loss. And that just shows that the eye test does indeed matter when they're, put, when they're assembling these, these college football playoff rankings. Because Oklahoma struggled against Kansas. You can't struggle against Kansas if you want to get into the playoff. With that being said, I think if Oklahoma runs the table, they will have a pretty good chance to get into this playoffs. Even though the Big 12 right now has only has two other teams ranked in the top 15, top 25 in Oklahoma State and Baylor. So Oklahoma, a little get, getting the short end of the stick there. They're number eight. Uh, so closing out the top 10, we got seven Michigan, eight Oklahoma, nine Wake Forest. Shout out to Wake Forest. They're having their best season in program history right now. And number 10 is Notre Dame. Genu- generally, generally, I should say, I agree with the committee that they indeed did put the top 10 teams in the country in the top 10 of these rankings. However, I don't agree with the order in which they put them. So let's get into my college football playoff week one rankings because this is the first rankings the college football playoff committee has released. That's why I'm calling it the week one rankings. All right, number one, you have to go with Georgia. Like I said, they have two top 20 wins against Kentucky and a very, very nice win on the road against an Auburn team in which they absolutely blew out. They've got an opportunity to, and like I said, the only other team on this list, probably besides Michigan State and an Ohio State that has an opportunity to really bolster their resume at the end of the season is Georgia because they're, they're going to have to face Alabama probably in the SEC championship. And that's going to be probably one of the best wins in the country. So Georgia's number one. They have a dominant defense. Their offense has shown signs of being elite at times as well. But it's really their defense that has carried them into that number one ranking. Number two, I would put Michigan State. Um, they're number three in the committee's rankings. I would put the Spartans number two. Uh, Ke- Kenneth Gainwell the third, Michigan State's running back, ran for five touchdowns last Saturday against Michigan. He is one of the best running backs in the country right now. And I think if I had a Heisman Trophy vote, I would cast it for Kenneth Gainwell the third. That's how good he was. And they just kept responding, responding, responding against Michigan on Saturday. Michigan went up 31-13, to 13, I believe at one point on Saturday. And Michigan State didn't give up. Their coach, Mel Tucker, he's a Cleveland guy. He's done an excellent job turning around that program. And I just think Michigan State, you look, they got a dynamic running game. Their defense caused some turnovers against Michigan down the stretch there. 
And I think that's one of the best wins of the season. They're 8-0. They're a Big Ten team. They control their own destiny. They have an opportunity to add some quality wins against the Penn State, against an Ohio State later in the season. They'd be my number two team right now. Number three, I would have Oregon. Um, I know Oregon lost to Stanford in overtime. It's not a great loss. But I would, I would have Oregon because I think they have the single best win of the season this season against Ohio State in the road. And they're still a conference leader. And if they run the table, I think they should get in. So I'll have them at number three. And number four, this is where it gets contentious. I hear you Cincinnati folks. And that's why I would put the Cincinnati Bearcats right now at number four. Now, I'm not saying that at the end of the season – I would keep out a one-loss Big Ten champion, champion Ohio State with two top ten wins against Michigan and Michigan State. I'm saying as of right now, the initial rankings, I would put Cincinnati above Ohio State. It's not because I think Cincinnati is better than Ohio State, but I, it's like I said, I think it's because Cincinnati is more deserving than Ohio State. That's why I would put Cincinnati at number four. I think Cincinnati, they've beaten everybody in front of them, obviously, I think they have a great road win against the top 10 team against Notre Dame. I think they've done everything that they've needed to do to continue to be in this Heisman, conver- uh, not Heisman conversation, playoff conversation. So right now I'll just put them in four based off quality wins because Ohio State and Alabama don't have a win that is as good as Cincinnati's win against Notre Dame. Number five, I would go Ohio State. Um, I think Ohio State's better than Alabama, and I don't know why the committee has Alabama so much higher than the Buckeyes. I think Ohio State's offense and defense have played a lot better since that Oregon game. I think Ohio State's loss to Oregon, a top-five team, is a lot better than Alabama's loss to Texas A&M, which is a top-15 team. And I think at times this year, Alabama's defense has looked suspect, as is Ohio State's. But right now, I think Ohio State is the more deserving team and the better team. So I'd put Ohio State at number five and then Alabama at number six. And then I would put Oklahoma above, above Michigan at seven, but then I would put Michigan eight, Wake Forest nine, Notre Dame 10. So those are how my rankings uh, defer a little bit from the committees. I think the committee just overhyped Alabama a lot, which tends to happen. But I don't hate the ratings. I th- like I said, I think they got the top 10 right, just not in the right order. All right, let's get to the, our game picks this week in college football. Um, there are some good games this week. I, I got to go to Wednesday night's action contest between Kent State and Northern, Northern Illinois, and Kent State is in sole possession of first place in the MAC East. So if the season ended today, they would be playing for the MAC championship. So that's pretty exciting as a Kent State student. I'm pretty excited about that. But let's get to our game picks for this week in college football. This season in college football, we are 56 and 34 in game picks, and we start things off with the number five Buckeyes at the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Saturday at noon. No contest, the Buckeyes should win this game. Um, I think the Buckeyes' offense right now is the best offense in the country. They have the most playmakers, without a doubt, with C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jeremy Ruckert. They've got so many playmakers, and the defense is finally starting to make plays. They had a, a scoop and score on Saturday against Penn State, and the, the defense actually made some plays down the stretch, which was very encouraging to see. So I'll take the Buckeyes over Nebraska. Number eight, Wake Forest, number nine, Wake Forest, excuse me, versus the North Carolina Tar Heels 
in North Carolina. It's a little bit of a tough game. I know North Carolina is not as good as we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season, but I still think Wake Forest is having one of those seasons, and I think they'll find a way to get it done. Liberty, 7-2 Liberty at number 16 Ole Miss. I like Ole Miss in this one. Uh, Ole Miss came, is coming off a pretty hard loss to Auburn on the road. I mean, top 15 matchup that was last week. But I think Ole Miss still is going to bounce back. Matt Corral trying to raise his draft stock still. This should be a gimme game for Ole Miss against Liberty. Number three, Michigan State at Purdue. Trap game. I'll say it right now. It is a trap game for Michigan State. But I, I don't think the Spartans will have their foot off the gas. I don't think Mel Tucker will let this team look too far ahead in the future. So I'll take Michigan State in that one. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. Uh, Oklahoma State's number 11. They've had a good year. West Virginia is always a tough place to play, it seems like, though. But I'll go with Oklahoma State. My upset of the week, even though in just in terms of numbers, it's not an upset. But in terms of Vegas and the, the spread and the money line, it is a favorite. It is an upset, I mean. I'll go number 13 Auburn over number 14 Texas A&M in College Station. I like Auburn in this matchup. I think Bo Nix is an electric player, and when he's on like he was last week against Ole Miss, he is one of, if not the most exciting players to watch in college football. And I think the the Auburn offense is going to go toe-to-toe with Texas A&M and make just enough plays to beat them. So I'll go with Auburn. Number 12, Baylor at TCU. I'll take uh, Baylor, excuse me. Number two, Alabama versus LSU. I think Alabama rolls in that one. Number four, Oregon at Washington. I'll go with the Ducks. And then number 16, the Utes, number 16 in the AP rankings, not the college football playoff rankings. The UTSA Roadrunners, I'll take them over UTEP. So those are our college football picks this week. Let's get into some NBA talk. And let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers, folks. Uh, we live in a world where the Cavs are fun and the Browns are not. What is this, 2017? I don't know. I'm seriously asking. Because the Cavs this year have been very fun to watch. Right now they sit at 5-4. and four. They have some good wins this season so far against playoff teams. They're a top defensive team. And I think their strategy of getting a bunch of good big men was not that bad of a strategy. I mean, you look at Jared Allen is playing at an all-star level right now. Evan Mobley looks like the rookie of the year so far through this season. Laurie Markkinen has had some games where he's shown up. You look at, obviously, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, two playmaking guards. Darius Garland, more of a pass-first guard. Colin Sexton, more of a shoot-first guard. The Cavs are a very young team, and right now they're showing that they can go toe-to-toe with playoff teams. They beat the Trailblazers on Wednesday, 107-104. They have some nice wins against the Hawks, the Clippers, the Nuggets this season, and their only four losses are against playoff teams, or play-in teams, I should say. It's a loss to the Grizzlies, the Hornets, the Lakers, and the Suns. And, and the good thing about the Cavs is in those losses, there wasn't a game in which they got blown out in. They've been in every game in the late stages of the fourth quarter, and that's a huge, huge good sign for this young team like the Cleveland Cavaliers. I love what I've seen from this Cavs team. They're putting out an outstanding record, uh, uh, effort, outstanding effort night in and night out. And I'm just very excited for this season for the Cavs. I think they have a chance at sneaking into a playoff spot this season as well. So other storylines around the NBA, LeBron James is going to miss a week with an abdominal strain. Don't think it should be anything too serious, but it's, it, it is something to keep an eye on. 
Um, the 76ers are fining Ben Simmons for not cooperating with the team doctors and continuing to miss games despite not having a legitimate medical excuse to do so. And it looks like they're going to keep finding him until he does cooperate with the team. So that is a situation to watch unfold there as well. And yeah, so that's what's going on in the NBA. A lot of a lot of good season NBA action this season. I've been very impressed with the Cavs. Um, and I think the NBA is going to have another magical year this year. All right, and let's end today's episode with a championship. The Atlanta Braves beat the Houston Astros 7 nothing in the 2021 Game 6 of the World Series. The Atlanta Braves are your world champions of baseball in the year of the Lord, 2021. Congratulations to the city of Atlanta. The Atlanta sports curse is broken. Uh, it looks like Atlanta might be setting up for a pretty exciting year. They got Georgia number one in the college football playoff rankings. They've got the Atlanta Braves winning their first World Series since Michael Jordan was playing in 1995. And just good for for the Braves, I think. And I think this is a a message to the rest of baseball. You look at who contributed for the Braves down the stretch in in the postseason. Jorge Soler was the World Series MVP. They picked him up at the trade deadline. Adam Duvall, trade deadline piece. Eddie Rosario, NLCS MVP, trade deadline acquisition. The Braves were a team going into the year with high expectations. They lost their best player, in my opinion, Ronald Acuna Jr., in July. They could have sulked and hanged their heads, but no. Their GM decided to get aggressive. He made some moves that weren't very high profile at the deadline, but turned out to win a world championship. And I think that speaks to teams that are around 500 at the deadline. The Braves spent 150 days out of first place this season. They only won 88 games in the regular season. But this Braves team, they had a belief in their self. No one in their organization thought that this team wasn't going to do something special this year. And that's why they went all in on these guys, getting these guys at the deadline. And man, did it pay off. And congratulations to the Braves, and I sincerely mean that. There are some guys in the Braves I'm really a big fan of, like Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman punched his ticket to the Hall of Fame with this World Series ring. He's already been an MVP. He's been playing with that team for 11 years. I think he's going to end his career as a member of the Atlanta Braves. Um, and Josh Tomlin. I, I got, me and my dad were in attendance for Josh Tomlin's Major League debut when he made it with the Cleveland Indians against Alex Rodriguez and the Yankees, and he went six shutout innings. I'll never forget watching Josh Tomlin's MLB debut. I'll never forget his performance in Game 3 of the 2016 World Series, beating the Cubs 1-0 for Cleveland. One of the my favorite Cleveland Indians of all time gets a World Series ring out of the bullpen for the Atlanta Braves. That's just an awesome story there. And this Braves team is set up for success in the future. They're going to get Ronald Acuna Jr. back. They have a great starting rotation with playoff experience now with Max Freed, Ian Anderson, and just a huge, huge kudos to this Braves organization. They were the best team in baseball this season. I think they were well-rested in the regular season. Um, I think playing an easier division against the NL East helped them be ready and well-rested for brutal playoff series against teams like the Milwaukee Brewers, like the 107-win LA Dodgers, and like the Houston Astros. So this Braves team, they go out, 
They get it done. They win their first World Series since 1995. And you know they will be back next year. I think this Braves team has a great chance to repeat. And I think if nothing else, they will be back in the conversation next year. Some quick Cleveland Guardians news for you. Uh, the Indian, uh, the Guardians. We're going to start calling them the Guardians right now because the MLB season is officially over and the Indians will become the Guardians for the 2022 season, which technically is the season we are talking about right now. So we're going to go with the Guardians. So the Guardians did exercise Jose Ramirez's $12 million option for next season. It's a great move. Jose Ramirez has expressed his desire to want to stay in Cleveland for the rest of his career. And if I was Chris Antonetti, the Indians GM, a Guardians GM, I would offer the guy a blank check. He's been one of the top 10 players in baseball for the last five years. He's been your MVP. He's been very consistent year in and year out. He's going to be good for 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, and he's going to play at a gold glove defensive level every year. And he signed a team-friendly extension back in 2014-2015. Who's to say he wouldn't do that again if he truly wants to be here? I think they need to do everything they can to make sure Jose Ramirez remains a Cleveland Guardian for the rest of his career. Another move the Cleveland Guardians made, I think it was almost a better move than keeping Jose Ramirez's option, was declining Roberto Perez's option of $7 million and buying him out. Roberto Perez can't stay on the field. Uh, sure, he's a good defensive catcher, but so was Austin Hedges. I think releasing Perez, buying him out, whatever you want to call it, not only gives Austin Hedges an opportunity to be an everyday catcher, but also gives Bo Naylor a chance to accelerate his track to the major league and maybe sit behind Austin Hedges this year, learn the ropes of catching major league pitching, and then maybe his offense can develop in AAA or while he's sitting behind Hedges with the plan to take over for Hedges at the start of next season or at the end of this season. I think that's a great plan for the Cleveland Guardians. And they also signed... Uh, Signed their new hitting coach today, who was the assistant hitting coach for the Chicago Cubs. Looks like he knows what he's doing. So it's been a good week for the Cleveland Guardians, but a crazy week for the Cleveland Browns. And, <laughs> and that is going to do it for today's this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you guys have a great month of November. Don't forget to fall back this week as it's daylight savings time, I believe. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Do something nice for one another. And we will catch you next week with another episode of Jack of All Trades. Until then, I've been Jack Bernie, signing off.